Hey everyone, before we get into today's show, just wanted to give a quick plug for 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, a show about 90s music hosted by Rob Harvilla of The Ringer and produced by myself, Isaac Lee. Our latest episode is on Pulp's Common People, but we've also done TLC's No Scrubs, The Backstreet Boys' I Want It That Way, and Metallica's Enter Sandman featuring special guest Dave Chang. That's right, the host of this very podcast you're listening to. So, If you're a fan of 90s music and if you're a fan of intelligent conversation about 90s music, you're going to like this show. So please go check that out exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. We have a bad movie club review of Born in East L.A., cult classic with Cheech Marin. Please check it out. If you have a DVD player, you're going to have to buy the DVD because it's not streaming yet. And it was chosen by the great, great, great journalist and just cultural savant Gustavo Ariano. And we get in there. And for the most part, it's an amazing movie that doesn't need to be updated with the exception of a few things, couple things. And you'll hear why, what those couple things are. And we also go, at the end of it, uh, a little bit more further conversation about the World Cup of Snacks that we we lay out a few more things. And if you've been anticipating that, uh, don't worry. We're, we're going to have something to present soon enough. But before we get into this podcast with Gustavo, Chris Ying has a few things he wants to bring up. Yeah, I, I um, we're going to do a mailbag episode this week, but I wanted to bring to your attention, Chang. Uh, we've got a lot of responses to the Safi Bacall podcast we did a couple of weeks ago where we had the great physicist and, and entrepreneur on to talk about loon shots, crazy ideas, crazy experiments that uh, lead to new successes for businesses. And and we started talking a lot about uh, the need for these experiments in the restaurant industry, which is facing many, many existential threats that have only been exacerbated by COVID-19. So, I mean, Dave, all these people are kind of writing in like a lot of ideas, a lot of really interesting responses from people who are outside the restaurant industry saying, you know, like I, I work in the field of a B responses and and you know my company does all sorts of things testing out hypotheses and and like it's really interesting to hear the restaurant industry approach this problem with this 
tactic of having a goal and and coming up with experiments to find them out. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit more because I think we were, you know, that's a really dense podcast. But just to talk to you a little bit more because our conversations have continued a lot and just to hear more thoughts about P-type and S-type loon shots and experiments versus ideas and all that kind of stuff. So maybe we could just start there. Like, can you re-explain, because you're more familiar with this than I am, like the difference between what a product innovation idea is and a structure innovation is in maybe the restaurant context? Yeah. Well, in the book of Loon Shots by Safi, he uses Pan Am Airlines versus American Airlines. And Pan Am by Juan Tripp, who was the founder CEO, was about making it cooler, making planes faster, making it more luxurious and and more sensual and all these things that just added up to uh, a different experience, right? It, it was about making it so hard that no one else could do it. American Airlines was like, we can't do what that guy does. We're just going to make everything more efficient and we're going to make innovations and in things that are not cool, like creating frequent flyer programs and bonus mile rewards and decentralizing reservations. So you didn't have to call American Airlines. You could get anybody in your hometown that's a travel agent to do, to make airlines. So it just made things more accessible. And there's a lot of innovation that happened there. And that was the system innovation. And in our conversation with Safi, and when I read the book, I was like, oh, this is almost exactly how it describes the restaurant industry. And performance type is really high-end dining. It doesn't necessarily have to be fine dining, but it's about making something so cool, so complex, so difficult, right? Like, oh, they're getting single origin this, or the chef is now making his own pottery with spearfish, whatever. And everything was about making it more difficult, more delicious, more of an experience that no one else could get, that you have to go there in order to get it. Something you can't download. It is... uh, FOMO, all of these things that dominated dining and independent restaurants. But if you think about McDonald's, listen, there's nothing redeeming about McDonald's, right? As what they do, most people in food hate McDonald's. And if you ask most people that are in high-end restaurants or independent restaurants, Chris, what do you think if you brought up, you know, the clown, the king, like that kind of food, what do you, and like Chick-fil-A, all these restaurants, what do you think they would think about them? Yeah, just intense vitriol and like, that's not real cooking. That's not real food. That's garbage. And they're not wrong. (laughs) They're not wrong in thinking that. But because no one gave a shit about how any of these companies operated, right? Or not, that's not gave a shit. Because it was so uncool that they didn't care about making food impossible. It was about making it accessible. And when American Airlines, for example, changed their reservation system so anybody could make reservations for American Airlines, you didn't have to go through American Airlines. Like That's like what I felt What so much about these companies that are valued like billions of dollars are doing. They're just trying to make as much food as possible, as cheaply as possible. And because no one cared about it, they weren't winning awards or Michelin stars or New York Times stars or any bullshit like that. They were just trying to make things more efficient. And yes, we can typecast that all as bad because they're commoditizing things and labor. All of there's so many bad things, but the one positive is is like look at Chipotle. They just already opened up a counterless 
it's just all computerized like restaurant or something like that. Like they're moving really quickly and testing and making good kinds of fails, something that Safi talked about. And that's where I felt like we're at. And now that now independent restaurants have to play this crazy catch-up game where it's, I mean, you've seen everybody, there's been lots of interesting S-type innovations since all this started, but you know, I think people are only now realizing it's not enough to be cooler. The other distinction that a lot of these emails came in and, you know, people are sort of talking about the ideas and possibilities for where the restaurant industry could go. But the other distinction I thought was really interesting that Safi and you opened my eyes to was the difference between an idea and an experiment. In general, we still need to figure out how to make this industry better, how to better prevent some other natural disaster pandemic or something from bringing this industry to its knees again. And for the most part, you know, we haven't quite answered food delivery yet. Yeah. We haven't quite answered food logistics yet. We for sure as hell haven't answered how we're going to deal with the lack of corporate expenditures trickling through restaurant industry. And nobody I know has even wanting to talk about that. But like, perfect example. We know for sure people are going to go back to work, office workers. But I would suggest just like casual Fridays came into play, 50 years ago, no one ever thought you could wear fucking shorts to work on a Friday. <laughs> you know, like now it's going to be elective Fridays. You can mm-hmm. choose to come to office. Like that's just going to be at bare minimum, I bet one day a week, right? At bare minimum, one day a week. I probably bet that it's two to three days a week that you don't have to come in the office. I hope to be wrong, but we should be planning out, at least hypothesizing, like what can we do to better plan for some scenario like this? And if you don't have people going to work, that dramatically impacts, like San Francisco Salesforce. The Salesforce doesn't go to office, which they've already said that you don't have to. It's the largest employer outside of this, the government. It's the largest real estate holder outside of the government. A lot of businesses are based around that. What happens to the coffee makers in the morning, the salad shops, the happy hours, and the expense account dining, all of these things. It's a massive thing. I don't know what the answer is. Maybe there is no problem. And that's another thing. It might work itself out because there's less competition, whatever, whatever. I don't know, but we should be sort of thinking what's around the corner, not assuming that it's always going to be good. Yeah. You know, sticking on what you're talking about of, of, you know, work from home, for instance, I would wager that a company like Salesforce or Starbucks or whatever, a large company that's considering to switching to part-time or even full-time work from home doesn't say like, hey, this is an interesting idea. Let's let's see if it works. I'm sure, and like to Safi's point, it's about experimentation and data gathering, right? Like I'm sure there's surveys of employees of what they want. I'm sure there's measures of productivity for groups that have been working from home. I'm sure there's like a million different small data points you need to collect. And like, that was the most interesting thing when he told the story of, you know, would people pay money for day-old sushi? Rather than just trying to sell day old sushi, you ask a hundred people, "Hey, would you pay less for this?" Like that experimentation is what's missing. So I'm, I, you know, this has gone. <laughs> we ended up talking quite a while about this, but my main point in bringing this up to you was, it's great. Like the listeners are engaged with this, and I, I hope that more people are coming up with these experiments um, rather than just ideas. I hope that people are coming up with S types, you know, systems rather than products. And I hope I want to, I want to read more about these. I want to hear more people's ideas. And, you know, Dave, like I know that both of us are super interested in the experimentation side and trying to carry out these experiments and things. So, 
you know, as always, our, our listenership is, is a wealth of engaged people. So I feel lucky. I have no idea what I just said. Here's someone more interesting than whatever the hell Chris and I just spoke about. Here's Gustavo and our Bad Movie Club review of Born in East L.A. We are joined with Gustavo Ariano, and we are blessed to have him do a Bad Movie Club review. <laughs> Chris, it has been... When's the last time we did one? It's been a while. Uh, I think it's been it's been months and months. We did the last dragon, I think, was the last one we did, and we finally arrived at kind of like the definition of a bad movie, a movie that's not appreciated by whatever mainstream criticism, whatever, but is important to certain communities. We finally figured out what the fuck a bad movie club movie is, and with that, it became really hard to find like a great movie until. We happened to reach out to Gustavo, who had an answer instantly that fit the bill as to like what movie we should talk about. And what movie did you recommend, Gustavo? Dude, born in East LA. Yes, I was born always. I, I, you see, I had a problem with this though because for me, it's not a bad movie. It, it's and I, and I get it now with the way Chris said it. Now it makes sense. But for me, a bad movie. Oh God! What was that movie with like um, Alec Baldwin, Meryl Streep, and Steve Martin in the past couple of years? It's complicated. Trust me. That was a seven- <laughs> terrible movie. Terrible well, movie. Depending on uh, who's watching it, because I feel like I've seen that at least twenty-seven times because my wife loves it. Oh my God! Well, you see, I've seen The Devil Wears Prada maybe like a hundred times at least. But so for me, Born in East LA is not a bad movie. But now I guess it is. You know, it's to each his own. And, and and I think that's what we wanted Bad Movie Club to do is, or to be is, it's really not bad. It's only bad if you don't understand sort of the context or why someone else would care about it so much. And I'd have to say that screaming top five best movies we could do for this podcast under this sort of premise is Born in East LA. Cool. I grew up as a little kid always laughing at Cheech and Chong because they had the stereotypical pot-smoking vibe, right? One of the best scenes is up in smoke, I think, in the van, and they're just laughing their asses off. I (laughs) I mean, I didn't even understand what marijuana was, but I didn't look at them as Mexican-American or, you know, talking about anything Latino at all. It was just, to me, like watching the Marx Brothers or something like that, something that was funny when you're younger. And a lot of young, older, younger kids today have no idea who Cheech and Chong were. Oh, yeah. Well, or, or even the old Cheech and Chongs and then like Pee Wee Herman or Paul Rubens shows up. And as an adult, you realize he's high on cocaine and he's offering people, hey, let's like snort up coke. And as a kid, you're like, he's kind of weird, but he's funny. So, okay, cool. I'll laugh with that. Sure, why not? And one of the funniest lines in their movies is when they're like, Bruce Springsteen killed rock and roll. <laughs> I, I think that's which obviously is funny for the board in East LA bit. Uh, I was going to ask Gustavo. Let's just dispense with this right off the bat. I don't have any recollection of ever having seen Born in East LA until I watched it for this podcast, for which we had to buy DVDs and DVD <laughs> players because for some reason this movie is unstreamable. But that is not your experience with this. What is your experience with Born in East LA? And you grew up in Southern California, right? I grew up in Southern California, and we probably had the same TV channels. Yeah. 
you didn't watch Channel 5 then at all. Channel 5 was this legendary independent station in Southern California. This is a place that used to have Twilight Zone marathons every Labor Day weekend. It literally invented uh, news, like actual breaking news and covering local news, like legendary. And so, uh, and every Saturday, basically in the early 90s, it seems like they used to screen Born in East LA again and again. It was like the original Shawshank Redemption, you know, like a movie that just <laughs> airs so many damn times that you just uh, like absorb it all and it's DNA. So I grew, I never saw Born in East LA in the movie theaters. I didn't have to buy a DVD, although now I have a DVD. Thank you, David. Uh, but I don't need it because I remember every scene. I, you know, and I enjoyed the movie, but it's just something that you grew up with in Southern California. It's like between Born in East LA, Wally George, Huel Hauser, and uh, Channel 5 News. <laughs> Dave, do you remember, have you seen this movie before? I saw it when I was very young. I honestly like came out in 87 when it hit VHS. I think I was probably 88. You know, VHS movies literally took a year if something released. But I remember it was a big thing because I think it was the first movie without Chong, Tommy Chong. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a big thing. Again, like I don't know why, but I thought these guys were hilarious. And this is pre internet and fan stuff like that. But I was like, that was a big thing. And and clearly, I think if you were going to bet on who was going to have the bigger career, I don't know if I would have bet on Cheech Marin having a bigger career than Tommy Chong. But Cheech has had a big, big, illustrious acting career. Underrated. No, no. Th- this is the interesting thing about Born East LA. This is, como se dice, the, like, uh, the breaking point between who Cheech of Cheech and Chong was, total stoner, total uh, cochino, you know, dirty guy with a, and we'll talk about that in Born East LA. And then now Cheech, now he's totally mainstream. He, I mean, literally he's starting a fucking art museum in Riverside. He is the largest collector of Chicano art in the world. The museum's going to be called The Cheech. Chong, God bless Chong, but Chong's not doing, uh, you know, the that type of museum. Cheech and ends up becoming like this beloved character. Well, he, you know, comes out in Cars, came out in uh, Oliver and Company on Disney, uh, you know, uh, that Disney cartoon. The, he's like our, you know, he's our dirty old uncle, except in a nice way, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's a national treasure. I remember yeah. because that song was played on the radio. <laughs> Born and East Led, because it was such a, you know, a play on Bruce Springsteen. And ironically enough, I think Bruce Springsteen gave Cheech and Chong or Cheech and Chong gave Bruce Springsteen one of the, his early like opening dates uh, when their career started. So there's this dovetail between Bruce Springsteen and, and Cheech and Chong. But that song, when Born in uh, USA came out, that was like the national anthem. It was like Reagan era, America, America, America. Clearly, that's funny. That's not what Bruce Springsteen even wanted. Yeah. But it was funny because I remember hearing that song on the radio. And thinking that it was hilarious. I don't even know what it meant. (laughs) What's weird, I only listened to the song like literally a year ago on YouTube because I know it plays (laughs) at the very end of the credits, but you know, you end the credits like, okay, you already saw the jokes, you know, they get married or, you know, and all that stuff. I'm not saying who's getting married just yet, but then I heard it. It's a funny song. Yeah, man, I, I watched this on VHS. I remember because I'd go to Arrow's video store in McLean, Virginia, and we'd rent every movie that would come out, especially anything by Cheech and Chong. And I know by default, my brother, who was a big stoner, still to this day, love you, Young Chang, was like a huge <laughs> fan of Cheech and Chong. So clearly I know we watched it, but I don't remember anything. I don't remember yeah. anything other than the song and uh, 
the what's happening, brothers? You know what I mean? What's happening? <laughs> what's <Yeah>. happening? <laughs> that was my only recollection. So I just, and then I'll shut up because I want to give it to our guest of honor. I wanted to say this movie shook me because it is so fucking subversive, shockingly serious. I honestly, again, maybe the perfect definition of a bad movie club. It's even better than The Last Dragon. This is a movie that has been lost in mainstream media, but more important than ever before to sort of go back and understand what's been happening for so many years. This doesn't even need to be updated. Can you think about it? That's an amazing movie. This movie <laughs> doesn't have to be updated. Think about that. 30 plus, almost 30 years? What's my math? <laughs> yeah, 87, 97, 35, like something like that. Yeah. Does not have to be updated. That is how relevant this movie still is. Unbelievable. Yeah, which is which is depressing in its own way. <laughs> but <laughs> I want to I, I want to talk about I want I want to let Gustavo like explain the whole premise here and how this went from song parody to music video to feature film. I do also think it's hilarious. Like if if anybody's listening to this show that's under twenty five, they just have no fucking idea what we're talking about whatsoever. We're talking about Good. VHS tapes. Television channels, which just basically don't exist anymore. Chichi <laughs> Chog, like where this is where people are completely yeah, lost. Yeah, so but- what Chris is saying is fuck you on the 25 year olds. <laughs> fuck you. That's what he said. Fuck I didn't here. say that. Chris Yang just said that. <laughs> they, they, so, they would know who they would know who Cheech and Chong is. They, they've they know who, some- you're right, you're right. They know Cheech and Chong, but they have no idea what a VHS tape is. And they have they no don't idea know who that. Cheech and Chong. Come on, why can't you even assume that they know who Cheech and Chong is? A little is? bit, because you know, no they're way. young people are stoners. Young people like marijuana is now so legal and they're out there. They they're, and there's but Cheech and Chong now are seen as like elderly stoners instead of the influential total cochinos that they were in the 70s, like the, the yeah, revolution that they created. Yeah. The subversives, exactly. So, Gustavo, explain for everybody the origins. I know we've been hinting at it, but like the origins of this movie, and then let's get into the plot of what's actually happening in this. Okay. So, Born in East LA apparently was a track, and I haven't heard the, the album itself, uh, but it was a track on a Cheech and Chong album, which was a parody, of course, of the Bruce Springsteen song, Born in the USA, which, uh, you know, its own iconic thing. So for Cheech, the premise of the song was, okay, I'm a Chicano, a Mexican-American from East LA that gets deported to the United, uh, to Mexico by accident. And now I'm in this foreign land. Because if you remember, Bruce Springsteen was all about the experience of Vietnam War veteran going to a foreign land to kill the yellow man, as he said. And of course, that's no wonder Reagan loved that song, even though itself that song was subversive. Well, and, right there, Gustavo, isn't like mean, that song is subversive and Dave got at it too. Like that song is not what anybody thinks it's about. It's not like jingoist, patriotic American, um, you know, rah, rah, rah. I would argue that like Cheech, is one of the like only people who got what that fucking song is about. Yeah. It's about like alienation and feeling lost in this country that's supposed to be so amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, I've tried for so long, for so many years to get into Bruce Springsteen. And, and not that I ever hated him, but I know Bruce is like his own freaking world. So I really like listen to what the words are saying, like Badlands and like, you know, a lot of pianos, Wall of Sound stuff. But Born in the USA, like you hear the lyrics are so, it's it's terrible. It's an absolutely sad song. And it was even sadder, but so telling of America that Reagan adopted it as a campaign song for his 84 election <laughs> until Bruce is like, no, 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 no. This is an <laughs> indictment of the of American jingoism, really American jingoism and nationalism more so than capitalism. But yeah, no, Cheech heard it. Cheech knew exactly what it was, but Cheech, and this is actually one of the first times that Cheech 
uh, can proudly say that he's a Mexican-American and Chicano because before the Cheech and Chong movies, I mean, we knew he was Chicano. Mexican-Americans go to Spanish, take Spanish classes and get a B or whatever that song is. But other than that, he was always sort of like ambiguously ethnic, just like Chong. Like I thought forever Chong was a Chicano as well. Then, you, you know, when I found out that Chong was a Chinese-American or Chinese-Canadian, if memory serves me correct, I bought a Motown um, collection of like, you know, greatest hits. And they had this big old booklet. And so Tommy Chong actually was in a band with uh, with Neil Young. The, I think it was called the Meadowlarks. They recorded a song called Does Your Mama Know About Me? And it was about, you know, uh, African-American dating a white girl. And it said Tommy Chong, Chinese, you know, Chinese. I'm like, Chong is Chinese? Really? <laughs> well, when you say it like that, you're like, oh, yeah. Why would Chong not be Chinese? <laughs> But, you know, but so anyways, with Cheech, so Cheech records this Born in East L.A. I guess it became such a hit. Also did a um, music video with it that he decided he was at this point trying to get out of the Cheech and Chong, uh, you know, just being stoner after stoner. Although the Carsican brothers, come on, that was like the Citizen Kane of stoner movies. We we got to <laughs> they, they should have continued with that for a little bit. Um, so he does this film, Born in East L.A., small budget. Gets released in 1987. Does not become it. Does not turn into a smash, but it was a hit because uh, Mexicans, as you know, especially back then, there was so little representation of who we were. And now the you know instead of just being a comedy though, and seeing it now, it's just such it, it's such a snapshot of a time when illegal immigration could be funny, when undocumented immigrants could have the agency to be buffoons. And we are not at this place anymore. And I think that's really sad, but that's more on what this country did with the, with the border than it is on the undocumented people themselves. Yeah, and it is a comedy, but it is also just like a Kafka-esque story. It's like, a, it's a nightmare, right? The whole thing is is a, a Kafka nightmare where Cheech is the main character named Rudy Robles. And he's well, been tasked- Actually, it's Gu Guadalupe Rodolfo oh. Robles. Sorry, but, sorry, yes. <laughs> his full name is Guadalupe Rodolfo Robles, and only Mexicans will call a man Guadalupe after the Virgen de Guadalupe. Um, but of course, you're a Chicano in East LA, so now your your name turns into Rudy. It's like Gustavo turns into Gus. Victor, my cousin Victor, is cousin Vic. My cousin Placido, Placido means peaceful. He turns into cousin Plas. Uh, Juan, my best friend, Juan Arturo Marmolejo, his name's Art. That's just what happens to us. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, can, I, can I also just add uh, Mexican sh like shortening of names are the best names in the world like <laughs> like uh, I, one of my favorite names of Rodolfo is just Roto Roto is such a good name I, I just wish we adopted more of these names because no one does better nicknames than the, the country of Mexico nobody 1000% <laughs> uh, on, on, on Twitter every once in a while I'll trot out two hashtags and just go with it until it ends. What first hashtag is Mexican names. So what I also love about Mexican names is that we just go for the old school. Do you know any Ildefonsos? Because I do. Do you know any, um, what's a good one? Fidencios or, oh, 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 what was the recent one? It's not just Cecilia, but Cecilio. I do. Mexican names. You get Cecilio. all these saint names. You get all these names from the history, uh, you know, from the history books. Then you either feminize them or masculize them, and then you go with them. That's Mexican names. But then what David's talking about, that's a different hashtag. That's called Mexican nicknames. So, so you shorten trips. the names. Gustavo, for instance, I'm either Guti or Tabo. <laughs> so uh, good. Your so Rodolfo's good. a Rodo. 
Um, uh, you know, Gabriel turns into Gabo. Uh, so you shorten these names. Uh, Ignacio turns into Nacho. That's where Nachos come from because the guy who created Nachos was Ignacio Alaya. Always got to get back to the Mexican food. Um, Hortensia turns into Chencha. It's like this amazing alliteration, uh, elision. It's it's uh, grammar or uh, lexography or however you say that damn word uh, rolled into one. But that's just one genre of Mexican nicknames. The other one's even better. You know, you just give someone a nickname just for the hell of it. And usually it's like the, not the crudest, but but the most obvious name. So there was a guy at my dad's work. Uh, he had a beard uh, last decade. So, of course, El Osama. Of course. Um, <laughs> if you have a big mustache during the 90s, you're El Saddam, you know, after Saddam Hussein. Um, <laughs> El, I, oh, my favorite Mexican nickname of all time. And you want to talk about savagery. A guy was born on the anniversary of JFK's assassination. So forever, no, forevermore, he's been known as El Kennedy. <laughs> I, I can, can I? Those are so. This is my favorite because I think it's a culture thing. I hope it doesn't have to change because of culture. But the the Mexican nicknames that you're bringing up, I think it's important to talk about because it's something that should be celebrated. They're fucking mean, man. These nicknames are to be mean, but it's not like oh, you're hurting my feelings. There, you can't shake it. It is, this is what it is. So I go fishing a lot in the Yucatan Peninsula area, and. One of my favorite people that I go fishing with, his name is Caesar. And I'm like, it's so weird. Everyone's got nicknames. One guy's Koreano because he looks Korean. You know, <laughs> Koreano, they call Koreano. And everyone's like, Caesar, Caesar. Everyone else, some of them I won't repeat on air because they're like, they won't translate. It's, you, you just can't do it to the American. But one guy was just never had a nickname. It's just everyone's calling him Caesar. I'm like, hey guys, what's Caesar's nickname? And he's like, Caesar is his nickname. I'm like, why? <laughs> He's from Planet of the Fucking Apes. He looks like Caesar. Caesar. Oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh man, that's god. the best fucking nickname of all time. <laughs> so I, uh, I thought that shortening of, uh, of of the name in this movie was also something that I wanted to talk about. So I'm glad you brought it up, yeah. Well, Rudy, well, guys, yeah, we no, haven't I, even I, talked I, about. I have a cousin, Rudy. Rodolfo is his name. I've never once called him Rodolfo in my entire life. He's always been Rudy. And he speaks Spanish. He's not, you know, totally Chicano or anything like that, but he's just cousin Rudy. You know, cousin Rudy, Leticia's Leti, Susan or Susana is Susie. And then Diego, I don't know what's Diego's nickname. You really can't do something with Diego, but there you go, Diego. But we haven't we haven't even talked about <laughs> the the subject at hand, Cheech Marin's name. Is because his uncle saw him as a baby and thought he looked like a chicharron. <laughs> so for the rest of his fucking life, he's cheech because his baby, his uncle's like, this baby looks like a pork rind. <laughs> like, being being, like, a, being a Mexican is an eternal life of busting balls to each other. This is as nice as possible. We're always busting each other's balls. Always, 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 always. And we're not even best. getting into like the horrible, like fat shaming or, you know, just all that stuff. This is just like, oh yeah, yeah. You look like Caesar from Planet of the Apes and Cesar or Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> so, so funny. Cheech is yeah. uh, Amazing Cheech, name. Cheech is nice. Cheech is a nice nickname. Yeah, yeah, we'll call you a pork rind for the rest of your life. Go, you know, have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Like, I'd rather be called Gordo than fat. Yeah. Gordo. Yeah, true. Gordito. Gordito. Yeah, Gordito. Sounds good. I mean, oh, you know, really quickly, Mexican nicknames are so savagery or Mexican names are so savagery. You know, uh, Johnny Cash is this whole thing about a boy named Sue, a boy named Sue. That's so rare. I know a shitload of Susanos. And Susano is a male equivalent of Susan. I know a shitload of Sus. 
I think this so, is maybe the most in-depth that any podcasts have done on Mexican nicknames. So I think we should pat ourselves on the back. Good, good job, everybody. <laughs> Etymology, totally. But anyways, yeah. So, uh, so you know, born in East, got back to born in East LA. His name's Rudy, and I, I think Chris was explaining him. If you want to continue explaining, <laughs> no. I mean, we had to take the detour because Guadalupe, aka Rudy, is tasked by his mother to go pick up his cousin uh, at the toy factory, and you know. Everything spirals from there. Cheech goes to the toy factory to pick up his cousin. He's never met his cousin before. He's looking around. He's asking around. And who shows up? La Migra. The, the immigration uh, van shows up. The, the in, insanely terrible uh, bus comes to pick up all of the undocumented workers at the toy factory. And Cheech gets swept up in the, in the raid. And he's, he's arguing, I was born in East L.A., you know, the, the, the immigration officer says, oh, yeah, like, if you were born in East L.A., who, who's the president? And, like, just the, the, the joke from the song comes out. And the joke is actually so genius because it shows how Chicano and how ultimately American Rudy was. So, you know, the, the Jan Michael Vincent, of course, the legendary Jan Michael Vincent plays this, the head of La Migra. He's like, oh, yeah, if you were born in the U.S., you know, in, in East L.A., who's the president of the United States? And Rudy's like... Oh, that guy, you know, he used to be on Death, Dal- uh, De- Death Valley Days. And, of, uh, you know, John Wayne. And John Wayne was on Death Valley Days, but Ronald Reagan was the host of Death Valley Days. Yeah. But why the fuck would a Chicano know about fucking even <laughs> Death Valley Days? A, a, a name that I had mean meant nothing to me until years later I Googled what it was because that's how assimilated he is. I mean, the fucking Migra guy should have given uh, Rudy, should have let Rudy go off by even knowing what the hell uh, Death, Death Valley Days was. A hundred percent. And I think it's, it's, it's so funny too, just as a, a dig at Reagan too, just like us, oh, the dude from the show, the, the other dude, <laughs> the other loudmouth racist prick, <laughs> the other loudmouth racist prick. Exactly. Uh, can I, can I just tell so, you, can, can I ahead, just dude. add, he gets bust the, the, his cousin, Paul Rodriguez to me is actually the star of the whole movie. Hmm. Paul Rodriguez is the cousin. Yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> I don't know why, but watching it, I was like, this guy is the most underrated performance I maybe I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, no. Paul Rodriguez, I mean, his lines, like the classic one where, uh, you know, uh, so Paul Rodriguez, you know, Cheech Marin or Rudy gets deported. The cousin then, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing, but somehow he ends up in the house of Rudy's house. They let him in. And one of the, you know, one of the plot points throughout the entire show was at the very beginning, Lupe Ontiveros, the legendary Lupe Ontiveros, she buys a hologram of Jesus, which of course existed in every Mexican's house in Southern California during the 1980s, where Jesus opened his eyes, closed his eyes, but they put this Jesus in front of the telephone. So the telephone keeps calling throughout the, the movie. <laughs> so and one of the classic ones is, uh, you know, Rudy's calling, hey, I'm in Tijuana. <laughs> I, I, soy Tijuana. And there's a line that every Mexican knows. Jesus está en Tijuana? Jesus in Tijuana? Oh, man. It's, and it's delivered with such deadpan country humor. It's beautiful. Oh, the other classic one, all of a sudden, you know, the phone rings. And, you know, quote unquote, Jesus saying, hey, give me a cerveza, get una cerveza. <laughs> then here comes fucking uh, Paul Rodriguez, like holding uh, the beer up above his head as like an offering. And then he called. And even though he's Mexican, somehow he says, un tal boy. Like he knows what a fucking tall boy is, even in Mexico, which, by the way, in Mexico, we call him caguamas. But still, that's awesome. 
Oh, what does what does kaguama mean? Kaguama is actually a, uh, the name of a, a sea turtle, and you know, sadly, sea turtles are almost extinct because we ate them almost out of existence. But that became the nickname for a forty, like the big, huge, like what we would call tall boy. We call them kaguamas. Uh, just further evidence of the power of Mexican nicknames. That's a fucking awesome <laughs> name for a tall boy, a kaguama. Holy shit. Uh, and so Cheech ends up deported and unable to prove his American citizenship because he's left his wallet on the uh, fireplace mantle or, or something at home. And his mother has gone to Fresno, Fresno for the week. <laughs> so he cannot, he's got, I mean, he tries. He, I, I do like that he tries over and over again to like get in contact with somebody to just be like, you know, because it's, it's the premise of the movie is to some extent feels resolvable with a phone call. And yet it's not, it's really not like, that's the tragedy of the whole thing. So the bulk of this movie is, is Cheech trying to get back to the States. He meets Daniel Stern, who plays a, uh, a fantastical character that doesn't exist. A, a, a good hearted, like white extortionist living in Tijuana, <laughs> like, uh, who gives Cheech a variety of jobs to try to earn the money to, uh, you know, ferry him back over the border. He falls in uh, Cheech falls in love with the uh, waitress Dolores at the at the bar and wait, wait, wait. Um, people don't realize Daniel Stern's character actually was real life and he wound up voicing uh, the Wonder Years and then having uh, a nice cameo or not cameo as the as the burglar in Home Alone so it's based off this character <laughs> wait so in- Dave, you're saying there's a continuity? There's yes. a continuity between <laughs> yes. this character and yes. the Wonder Years? <laughs> I don't know about the Wonder Years. Maybe Home Alone. I mean, hey, you know. They, you Art know, he, imitating he, life. It's the real, <laughs> real thing. You know, maybe, maybe there's something there. I don't know. David He's a petty thief in Home Alone. You know, he's a, he's yeah. a burglar. <laughs> like he's a, he's People a, don't realize the crossover. It's all there. He's a criminal here. So that's that's the that's the bulk of the movie and and um you know I I think that the comedic premise is actually set forth in the song it's like these are the lyrics of the song basically is 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 the story here and then the music video shows kind of like a shortened version of this and this is like the full cinematic portrayal which we should we should mention the entire thing written and directed by by Cheech Marin too. Yeah no it, it really is an extraordinary film and it's interesting because David said like you don't need to do the, any of the updating Seeing it just recently, you do. There is a lot of, um, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, just ogling of women oh, yes. nonstop like crazy. I'm not going to defend it. And you see it now it makes you wince because like you couldn't get away with it at, the, you know, now. But back then you could because what Cheech Marin was doing, he was actually following this genre of Mexican uh, films called the sexy comedia and the sexy comedias all based on the premise. Kind of like basically think of Benny Hill, except like, in movie form with Mexicans. So big bosomed women running around, a lot of lechery. And parents were watching these films. Kids were watching this, these films. That's where you get the great terms, Chichi's Christ and Nalga Medios. Like, Wait, it's Gustavo, just a like, whole thing. I, I, I've already blocked that out because I, 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 it didn't make any sense. The beginning and the end, like, was there some meta, like, metaphor that I was missing? Nope. You're just <laughs> no, staring just at this hot sex. redhead walking through East LA because Mexican, <laughs> we love our women that have big, you know, nice curves. That's literally, that's all that there well, was. Well, he to describes it. it as he, he, he's, he's cat calling her and he's like, 
you look like you got two puppies fighting under a blanket. <laughs> He's just throwing these one-liners out there. And I, I was, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm with you, Chang, where I was, I watched that opening scene, which goes on forever. forever. <laughs> and then and it pops like, up again at the end. You're like, yeah, is there something yeah, I'm missing? Is this like this woman yeah. who has, I was like, she's going to be a main character. She's a main character in this movie. And nope. I was like, did nope, I miss something? Was again. I stoned? Did I miss something really important? <laughs> nope. That, all cheat. And remember, this is still that continuation. So you see the, uh, um, the Chichen Chong movies, you have all sorts of women like this. Mexican families, Mexican audiences in the 80s, they were expecting, I mean, Hollywood has always had to cast, uh, you know, the spicy singerita, the Latin lover. They're, it's sort of a continuation of that. And Chichen's is doing it. He's not trying to make a bigger point. Although in, in fairness, I think, because you see this throughout the film, there's also the part where Cheech tries to play in a blind guy and he's like trying to grab and the oh, woman right, grabs right, his right, hand. Right. And that's him. <laughs> Pretty so, bad. Pretty yeah, bad. So the, it's bad. The Letchers get their comeuppance at the end. And then more importantly, this Letcher, uh, you know, Rudy, at the end, he becomes, you know, he gains this heart. He, uh, you know, uh, gets this woman, this waitress, who, by the way, is a Central American woman, a Salvadoran woman, which is very important because now you're getting representations of a, you know, of Central American migration in the 1980s at a time where the rest of the country is still thinking it's only Mexican migration. But yeah, that would be the only thing today that you would have to update. You can't <laughs> you can't have a five-minute opening sequence going through East LA and every single person just staring at this. Yeah. Uh, uh, and a French woman, no less. The woman has a French accent. What the hell is a French accent a, a doing? A French-ish accent. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're, uh, you're uh, absolutely here. right. My apologies, because that is something that clearly would not fly today. And But going back to that ending, there are moments that are just so sincere. That is what's shocking, that this movie has... All kinds of things going on. It has a lot of comedy. It has a lot of social commentary. Yet it has something as crude as just oogling a woman at the beginning end for no reason whatsoever. But that end scene, I thought was like, I just didn't expect that. You know what I mean? Like, this movie's got it all in a lot of different ways, you know? Yeah, no, and it's interesting because, again, seeing it again, it is this mishmash. And it's a purely Mexican thing. So... Now, you know, we're we're much more attuned to these ogling things. But like I said, I remember in the 90s, like you would have films like with comedians like Resortes. Literally, it was Benny Hill writ large with Mexicans. And you just, uh, it was a whole genre. No one's ever actually talked about that genre really in, in the English language, sexy comedias. But then you mix it with the border. Freaking funny. That, that, that part where Cheech is trying to jump, you know, go across the border and then jumps into a van that he thinks is a bush. And then uh, the <laughs> van just goes off. It's a border patrol. But, but and first like, he was posing as a bush himself. First, <laughs> he takes off his bush costume, jumps into another bush, which happens to be the Migra truck dressed up as a bush. Like, it's yeah. so genius. It, it, it's an artifact, though, of a time. And, this, and we're so far away from this. And it's really sad. And remember, like, he, uh, Cheech had to pay five hundred dollars to get into the United States. To get into the United States, five hundred dollars is nothing. Even five hundred dollars in um in nineteen eighty seven money is nothing. Now you have to pay fifteen thousand dollars, and there's no humor at it at all. It's absolutely disgusting what these coyotes did. But back in the day, it really was like uh, you know choose your own adventure and how to get into U.S. Mexico border. I mean the stories that my dad and my uncles talk about, like when trying to come into this country, they make it seem as funny as it was in Born in East LA. And also um, popular culture for years in, in, the, in Mexico, especially, they treated undocumented people as comedic superheroes against the idiot Americans. Uh, I, I think that's a really important point to talk about and something that I thought about a lot watching this, Gustavo. Like the, 
this is a really difficult subject. It's it's painful. It's it's <laughs> incredibly uh, hard to look at in real life. But it's this is a comedy. It deals with it so comedically. And you, you know, it's it was a different time, like you said, like uh, nineteen eighty seven, five hundred dollars to get across the border is, is nothing compared to what you have to go through now. But I was thinking about it so much, and I was like, that ability to make light of this. Um, for Cheech to do that, for the community, uh, for like Mexican Americans to like laugh at this, to be able to laugh at this, many of whom I like you're you're talking about have real stories of this shit. Uh, it's remarkable, and I was trying to think like you know, there's not I don't think Asian American culture has done this same thing where you can laugh at the like the hurt quite as much. Like so so much of like Asian American cinema is dealt with in these very kind of muted tones like hushed tones and you know the deal with it with real reverence and tranquility and like you're right like being able to to find humor in it and sort of take some of that power back feels incredibly important and and you know we we had Eddie Wong on here recently who who directed Boogie and that's not a comedy per se but there are lots of funny moments in there and and I don't know like Dave I can't think of other Asian American movies that kind of like treat the experience with this kind of humor, nothing like this. No, it just doesn't exist. Or maybe it does, but it, this movie weirdly has it all. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I like that it was a movie I could relate to about being alone in another country and trying to empathize with the things around you when you realize, oh, it's not just about me. It's about everyone else that's around me. So I, th I thought it was a great movie. It's interesting you say that about it's not just about me, it's all around me. Because one of the things that's also a critique of is just this American privilege. Rudy, he's 100% American. He thinks, hey, you know what? 100%. I'm an American. All I got to do is tell you my name and your computer will tell you that I'm allowed to go back in. And then, of course, they you know, put in his name. It wouldn't be Google in the database. And it turns out his name has been used by some other Rodolfo Guadalupe uh, Reyes to commit all sorts of crimes. So he, so he finally realized oh, wow, I'm actually a Mexican. No matter who I am or what I've done, it doesn't matter that I'm an army vet or whatnot. I am a Mexican and that's how America is going to see me. So it's interesting how at first he's the one who wants to come in by himself. He doesn't care about anyone else. And what Dave, David said earlier, um, that very poignant scene actually brought tears to my eyes 
And again, this is a comedy where you're laughing your ass off, but there's a moment where finally Rudy's going to go into the United States. The coyote, the guy who's going to smuggle him in, is going to uh, sneak him in. And there's also this concurrent scene where uh, older husband and wife couple, they're trying to go in, but they only have enough money for one person. The poor wife who you hear her accent, how she talks, she's talking like my aunts who came into this country without papers. And she's begging the guy, the coyote, please let us in. My children are already in the United States. Please do not separate our family. You know, hearing this now, especially after four years of Trump separating families, it hits you. Rudy is listening to this. He's already inside the truck. He could just go off into the United States and he'll be back uh, cheering on the Dodgers and the Raiders uh, very soon. But no, it hits him. It, the poignancy of that hits him. He allows a woman, uh, you know, he allows a woman to take his place. And then, you know, after that, instead of him trying to sneak in himself and Jimmy thinks, all right, cool. Hey, you know, we're going to do all these hustles. Nope. Then he gets a shitload, and not just Mexicans, by the way. Also, you can't forget the OTMs, the other than Mexicans, that follow him into the United States and just overwhelm the Border Patrol. Yeah, I think that um, he never says it in this movie, which is important, I think. But it's it's definitely implied. Like, the tone, like what, what Cheech is saying in the beginning of, of the whole thing is, I'm not a Mexican. I'm, I'm an American. Don't treat me like this. It's, this is not my thing. Like don't I don't treat me like one of these Mexicans, right? Yep. Like I was born in East LA, and that's what, what what I think Dave is talking about too, right? It's like Dave and I are in the same boat. His Korean is probably about the same quality as my Chinese. There's like a we've we've both been assimilated into the mainstream more than many of the people in our community, and there's a there's definitely a thing where you can think to yourself like, no no no, no. like that's not my problem. Even the problems of like Asian Americans can feel separate from, from me, at least I don't, I don't want to speak for Dave, but, um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to take us to like this dark place, but we're 40 minutes into it anyway, with everything that's been happening right now in America with anti-Asian American violence and, and discrimination. It's honestly been a little bit of a challenge for me personally to get to where Cheech is at the end of this movie, where it's like, you know what? Like that's, that's me and my people right there. You know, that's not a separate group, even though like I speak with no accent and I'm from Southern California and I, I, I like am assimilated fully. Like those are still my people. And I mean, I was telling the guys, our producers before this call, one of these murders, one of these recent murders of, of an elderly Asian American man happened on my block, like three doors down from me. So like one of these last week, uh, like a 75 year old man was like assaulted and I've been wrestling with this exact thing. And I, I I cried at that scene that you guys are talking about when Cheech sees the plight of somebody who he finally feels a kinship to. Yeah. Like he's he's been working this whole movie to get the fuck out of Tijuana. And he gives it up because he sees like this person needs it more. And I, I think like, I don't know. I mean, my, my point is the same as Dave's. Like this is actually an incredible movie with like with lots of real meaning. And not only that, like r really quickly, it's all. I also think it's so important to uh, show or to note that Chichals was also telling Mexicans, like, hey, or Chicanos especially, it's not just Chicanos, it's not just Mexicans coming into the United States. So there's this whole plot point where Cheech gets uh, paid to teach uh, a group of what was it, Indian and Chinese immigrants, the other than <laughs> yeah. Mexicans, how to assimilate. Jason Scott Lee. Jason yeah. Scott Lee is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> how to assimilate into East LA culture. So that's where the famous. 
What's happening? What's happening? <laughs> and so they're they're dressed like total homies out of like uh, Barrio Nuevo Estrada or all sort of uh, you know Maravilla gang and whatnot. But as they're coming into their last big swoop uh, uh, near the end uh, into the border, they're like it's a slow, not a slow mo, but yeah, kind of a slow mo of Cheech walking hand in hand with his soon to be Central American bride and his new Chinese and Indian friends, all coming into the United States without papers. Cheech is telling Mexicans, dude, it's not just about us. Like, and it's not just about who you think are your people. It's about all of us. This cross-border solidarity of undocumented immigration. I cannot, I cannot think of anything, at least in contemporary culture, earlier than that. And it's still a struggle to this day where Mexicans, I mean, and it's, it's sort of that classic American tale, and Cheech totally flips it. It's like all immigrants, once they come into this country, they assimilate. They're shat on by the people, the immigrants who came before them, and then they shit on the immigrants who come after them. The Germ, you know, was it the Germans did it to the Irish, the Irish did it to the Italians, the Italians did that to the Poles. Everyone's doing it to the Mexicans now. We Mexicans, we do it to Central Americans, and it just continues and continues and continues. At what point are we going to break this fucking chain of hate? And sadly, the way America is constructed right now, we never will. But hopefully with 2020 and hopefully, sadly, you know, out of this horrible spate of anti-Asian violence. And also, when will we see that the plight of people who are the struggles of people who are not necessarily look like us? They're also our struggles as well. And I, I, I really do hope that we did have that fundamental change in 2020. So especially the younger generation gets that. But here's Cheech talking about it in a way that, yeah, inspires you, but more than anything, makes you laugh. And I think that's why it's so important. Humor, comedy pathos uh, with like in, in the darkest of times and Mexicans have been so great at finding humor at the worst, some of the worst moments in our history. You just make fun of it that because if you can't laugh, then you might as well die. Yeah. Do you think that Cheech gives up his seat if he immediately got, got his ticket out at the beginning of the movie? No, no. And I think there's a real parable here for everybody, you know, whether you understand it or not, whether you're, Mexican, Asian, or whatever. It's like, I'm not mad at you if you don't understand it. How could you? Even people of your same, you know, of that ethnicity may not even understand it. And it's like, you have to experience it. Like, Ying, it maybe didn't affect you until you saw that it was three blocks down from you. I, I don't think anyone should be mad at them. How can you step outside yourself? Maybe some people are more talented at it than others, but it's really hard to empathize and to connect unless you can find it tangible in somehow, some way. And this would be a, you know, a movie of a sociopath. If Cheech Marin goes throughout all of his sort of <laughs> the odyssey that he's on and he like, no, I'm not giving up my seat. Fuck you, old lady. I need to get back to my mom, you know? And, and I think it's the reason why it's easy to understand that trajectory is because it's human nature to go out, see the world. And if it doesn't change you, something's fucking wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if anybody, whether you're Mexican and all the border issues or you're uh, Asian American and all the people that are saying, hey, hey, pay attention to this situation. It's not because it's like, oh, woe is us. It's like, hey, just open your eyes and maybe you can see something happening in your life that you can experience and you can better relate it to us. And maybe you'll give up your seat at the end of the day when you see your opportunity to do so. 
Yeah. Yeah. No. We I, I, everyone needs that moment. Yeah. I I never fault people for not being woke enough, or especially good people. I mean, if you're a sociopath, you're a sociopath. But as long as you're learning, <laughs> as long as you're having your eyes open, your ears open, and sort of considering what's going on in front of you, and there's that potential for you to finally get it, the way Rudy did, then hey, awesome. You're on your path. Go do your path. Sad, you know, sadly, we're human, so far too often it has to. Something has to happen to us personally. Something has to happen to us on our blocks, on our block, or within our families. Like with coronavirus, like so many people, I, you know, in, in doing so much of my coverage on coronavirus, like so many people said, I didn't think it was a thing until it finally hit me. Now it's too late, and all I could tell you now is, uh, please, please, please take this seriously. So si similarly with racism, similarly with what's going on in the border, what's going on with anti-Asian violence right now, please, folks, like listen to the people who are going through it right now. The last thing you want is for it, for it to hit home to you, and by then it's too late for you to, you know, be able to deal with it or consider where you're at or your privilege, for that matter. Yeah, and see what you did, Cheech Marin. Did you see what you fucking did, Cheech Marin? <laughs> you made a movie that was supposed to be funny, too fucking serious. <laughs> you failed, Cheech. I think. Uh, the, can we talk about? Because uh, I mean, we're now dancing around a, a central point of this movie, and, and Gustavo brought it up. But the OTMs, the the other than Mexicans, one of one of Cheech's <laughs> many many jobs uh, assigned to him by Daniel Stern. Again, the uh, fantastical, kind-hearted. <laughs> Jimmy. Like Coyote or whatever, uh, <laughs> is to train some other immigrants, some OTMs, in how to blend into East LA when they get there and take their jobs and are walking the streets. So these come to be known as the the What's Happening Boys. It's uh, <laughs> I think it's three of which are East Asian people, including Jason Scott Lee of of the Jungle Book and Dragon the Bruce Lee story, a, a hero to me as a as a as a kid. So um, handsome. He's so fucking handsome. He's that so guy. fucking handsome. It's ridiculous. That's how I spotted him. Like, that's that's Bruce Lee. <laughs> he's too good looking. He's too, to be he's too handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest though, like when he showed up though, Dave, I mean, I guess you you've seen this movie before and, and Gustavo, you've seen it many, many times, but I'll be honest with you, when he's talking to Daniel Stern, he's like, you gotta teach these Asian guys and these Indian guys. I was like, oh no. Like as the camera's like about to pan over to them, I was like, oh God, like what kind of horrible, horrible stereotypes am I about to see? Yeah. This is gonna be really bad. I don't hope it's not just like a bunch of buck teeth Chinese people or anything. And then it's like the most handsome uh, man in the in the world, <laughs> Jason Scott Lee. And tell me if you guys disagree. But it dawned on me at that moment that like my fears were not grounded really, aside from the the misogyny and like you know, ogling the the redhead. Everybody in this movie, all the main characters are like kind of of the same level of comedic obliviousness of kind of just like dumb, right? Everyone's like low level, pretty dumb, regardless of their race. You're not laughing. None of the comedy is like at the expense of anybody because they are Mexican, because they're Chinese, because maybe if you're white, yes. But like, you're not laughing at anybody because of their race, really, right? Is that is that is that true? No, I, I, you know, I, and I'll say this: coming from Mexican culture, where of course all Asians are chinitos, so there is this, you know, uh, pandemic, if you will, of chinito humor and like anything chinito, ah, ha, ha, like, and it's not like a full fledged nasty racism the way anti Asian violence is, you know, in the United States or, or those stereotypes, but it's still there. But I remember when I see seeing it, honestly, I would see them like, oh yeah, they're just. They're just Asian guys. And like, for me, the funniest one was like the Indian guy. I'm like, who's the Indian guy? Because 
I, that's not my idea what American culture taught me of an Indian guy or even what American culture taught me of a Chinese guy. And so for me, the humor wasn't like, oh, look at these, you know, uh, these stereotypes. It's more like, okay, these are guys who are not Mexican. And even like what's happening and the bandana, honestly, that's an East LA thing. As a child of Mexican immigrants, I didn't wear a bandana. I didn't do the, you know, the walking, the strolling <laughs> or the... You know, cat calling or whatnot. So it's it's almost like an anthropological lesson in a very specific part of uh, Chicano, uh, the Chicano community in the United States. And yeah, if you don't know how to say, uh, you know, it goes back to Spanish humor, so or rather how how Mexicans speak. So what's happening? That's the full way of doing it. But Mexican, uh, not etymology, but the lexicon, I forget this shit. But anyways, we we love Elysian. So we start dropping vowels and consonant, consonants like crazy. So what's happening turns into wasapening. Just like pa, para adelante turns palante, you know, go ahead, like, if you're not Mexican, if you're not if you're if you're not a speaker of Mexican Spanish, nobody in the damn planet's gonna get it. So of course these OTMs are not gonna get it. And so their humor then is in trying to get these people to uh, figure that out. And and you have to like the Raiders now. <laughs> and the Dodgers. You, the you Dodgers. don't see the you don't see the Angels making any fucking cameos in this film. <laughs> that last scene with the police officer was like, oh shit, we're gonna get busted. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Uh, another couple of just like little quick hit things that I thought were amazing. Um, Cheech is always wearing, you know, like a flannel and kind of like baggy clothes. But there's a couple of moments here where he's just got his like tank top. And I was like, damn, dude, Cheech is ripped. Cheech is straight <laughs> fucking cut, dude. Like he's a he's he's a he's a leading man. You know, he like always plays like a stoner comedy thing, but like at this point, he was like straight up love interest. I think he was not mismatched with Dolores. Uh, incredible, Cheech. No, he 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 looked like my uncles, and you know, you know, it go. And remember, he's a mechanic. Mechanics are always gonna have to have some sort of buffness because they're dealing with wrenches, they're dealing with lifting stuff. It makes sense. What I always loved about his outfit, though, that like tracksuit jacket. My dad had that exact same jacket for like 20 years. Oh my God, it's such a cool jacket. And then what's interesting, I also noticed Cheech also has the Chucks on, the Chuck Taylors, you know, be way yeah. before. And, you know, Mexicans, hipsters are like, have been, get, been getting into the Chucks for the past couple of years. But Mexicans, we've been loving that shit forever. Yeah, he rocks those Chucks pretty hard. Um, there's another, as the song is playing at the end, I listened to the song also, Gustavo, like after watching the movie, I listened to the song in its entirety and was like reading the lyrics. And he's got this line at the end where, you know, he's like, now I know what it's like to be born to run. And I was like, that's the best fucking oh lyric I've God, ever heard. Oh my God, that was so fucking funny. <laughs> this past time I finally caught that. And when he said that, I'm like, because remember, if you hear it as a kid, and you're Mexican. If you're Mexican in the 80s, especially child of Mexican immigrants, you're not listening to uh, Bruce Springsteen. Maybe you know Born in the USA, but you don't know Born to Run. You don't know any of that. You hear that now, you're like, dude, genius. Absolute <laughs> genius line. It's and it's funny. Again, genius. going back to the fact that you should, people should try to do humor like that, even to the same under the worst of circumstances. Cheech is basically making fun of being the very act of being undocumented, saying like, oh shit, I got to run away. But he does it in a sense that gives undocumented folks agency. Basically, anytime an undocumented immigrant comes into the United States, it's a big chinga tu madre, go fuck your mother to all the racists out there. You should celebrate that. You should laugh at the people who are so stupid that they can't seal a border. That's a cause for celebration. <laughs> 
Yeah, totally. I, I, I think that there's like a, like you guys talked about, there's this joyfulness to that last scene where he's running down the hill with just like a, a, a multicultural, like hundreds of people just running after the American dream. Now, the last thing we should talk about though, is that is maybe not the ending that you were accustomed to, right, Gustavo? Is this true? Oh my God. So again, I only saw Born in East LA Forever on Channel 5 in Southern California. Of course, we got a VHS of it. We uh, recorded it. And so finally, I can't remember when I saw the film version of Born in East LA. So that's the other thing I noticed because when I saw the rated R, I'm like, why is it rated R? It used to be on Channel 5 all the time. Like there was never anything <laughs> desordenado, uh, explicit, sexually explicit that I saw. Now you see a lot of fucks and all that. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But I'm like, you know, now they actually, to me, sounded gratuitous just because you didn't need them because I had grown up with this film for so long as a kid. But the ending, when I saw the ending, so the ending that you guys saw, they pop up of the, of the manhole in East LA while the Cinco de Mayo parade is going on. And I love, by the way, how it's Aztec dancers and then Roosevelt High. It's such a like Chicano <laughs> East LA thing. Then you have the, you know, the OTMs, the other than Mexicans doing their, uh, what's happening uh, thing. And then it cuts to Cheech getting married to Dolores. And when I saw them, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What happened to the original ending? And apparently it's just a television ending. And so the television ending goes like this. They come into this country, they're caught, and the border, Jan Michael Vincent's Migra boss, the one who mocked him about uh, Ronald Reagan and Death Valley days, he mocks them. Cheech and everyone escapes. That's how they get into the East LA parade. They're finally going to arrest Dolores. They get into this float. And Cheech says, oh, if I marry Dolores, now all of a sudden you're a temporary resident. So they marry there. It's a far better ending than the just like doisex machina, whatever that was that, that you guys saw. So I, I'm sure you guys are going to be like, what the fuck was that ending about? It makes no sense. Like, yeah, but I, now I explain it to you. And to this day, I have no idea why there's two completely different endings. I think the film ending, I mean, that, that film ending doesn't make any sense at all. I have no idea what happened. The uh, the Dave Chang Show audience has proven in the past to be pretty good at solving these uh, Solve unsolvable it, mysteries. So if anybody fucking knows why the TV <laughs> ending made sense, but the one that we paid for on DVD made no sense, please, please fill us in. You know, it's funny. I read the reviews for this, and <laughs> it's not a surprise to me that the only glowing review came from the LA Times. Oh. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. Cool. It's like, it's talking to an audience that would understand it and they get it. You read the Washington Post article review, it's like you would expect somebody from Washington, D.C. watching this movie and like, I don't get it. <laughs> and he says, you know, the video is better. You just watch that. This film often falls flat. New York Times says it's, you know, mostly missed other than Cheech Marin's amazing acting, which he is, amazing actor. And once across the board, everyone's like, wow, this fucking guy's an amazing actor. But what I find amazing from the LA Times perspective, it's talking about the cinematography. It's talking about, you know, the plot twist. Everything is a little bit more nuanced and carefully written because of the audience. And I think that's a very telling thing, not just in 1987 about how things are represented, but things are made and understood and how America understood Latino culture, particularly what Cheech was trying to do in 1987. I, I don't know if much has changed either. 
But what's also great about the film, and I, I'd have to read read the Times review, but it's also a very Los Angeles movie. Those murals, people know what those murals are. Even the very beginning, I don't know if you guys caught this, at the very beginning of the movie, you have a DJ introducing the song Sukiyaki, and the DJ's Huggy Boy. Huggy Boy is an oldies but goodie legend. May he rest in peace. And so what I loved about the choice of Sukiyaki, though, was that it, it's a total implicit, but if you're in LA, you know about it. It's a callback to the fact that in East LA and Boyle Heights, that used to be a Japanese American community before, of course, they all, you know, so many got sent off to concentration camps. So by tying it back to Sukiyaki, this isn't just like, oh, you know, exotifying Asians. It's a callback to Asian culture. And it's also a song, by the way, that people of Rudy's generation would know because it's a song that KRLA would play a lot because, you know, at that point it was an oldie but goodie. So just, and then also in the scene where, um, Dolores is uh, having that beer with uh, with uh, with Rudy. That was filmed at the Mercado Miguel Hidalgo, which is this legendary open air market. I've been going to my entire life. It's huge. It's now I think fifty five years old. So the, even if you're a white person, you know uh, Tijuana is your playground. But eventually you go, at least it was your playground. But you'd go there. These are this is this is a film that's familiar to Los Angeles. Now, don't just you know besides the fact that it's funny. It gets L.A. It gets those nuances. That Dodgers hat that's all bleached out or whatever. People would be wearing that if you're a mechanic. Uh, you know, fucking uh, Rudy playing Summertime's Blues. Of course you would play Summertime's Blues because that's a fucking Mexican song because it got played on Carol A so much. Or the best part uh, where <laughs> where the where the Conjunto group, uh, Rudy's playing Twist and Shout on the guitar. And they're like, no, Bamba, Bamba. And it, <laughs> you're like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah. Can you can you explain that part uh, a, a little bit more for people who haven't seen that scene where like the twist and shout and the bomba parallel? Oh, actually, so okay, so there's a scene where Rudy is, of course, trying to make money. He hears a conjunto norteño group uh, in a in the cantina that Jimmy owns, um, and uh, you know Mexicans are telling the conjunto they had what? Oh, they had just played Sabor a Mi, another a, a legendary song of Latin America, but of course a, it was a standard on Carole, uh as recorded by the group El Chicano. Beautiful, beautiful song. And then the 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 diners say, "Hey, can you play Summertime Blues?" And they're like, "We don't know what Summertime Blues is." Here comes Rudy as a Chicano. Sounds just like Eddie Cochran does a sato voice and all that. You know, <laughs> love to help you, son, but you're too young to vote and all that stuff. Then all of a sudden, okay, like let's make money by uh, creating this group. They create the group. He's starting to play, uh, you know, strumming out, the twist and shout, da 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 da. You know, shake it up, baby, shake it up, baby, and then da 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 da. It sounds just like uh, Richie Valens' version of La Bamba, kind of. Dun, 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 dun. So the conjunto norteño group says, no, 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 it's Bamba, and then. They sing the song. It's like this beautiful cross-cultural thing. Then quick forward, flash forward, they create a new group called Rudy and the Nuevo, the Nuevo Huevos Rancheros. They play Purple Haze at a shopping mall in Tijuana. Then they go back to um, just playing on the streets. Rudy's playing. First, he plays Ojos de Pancha by Los Alegres de Teran. Then he sees a German couple. He's like, oh, I know a song that both my Norteño group and these Germans will know. In Spanish, it's called Los Barrilitos. In English, of course, the beer barrel polka. Rudy starts singing in German, and the German tour is like, oh, Danke Schein, or however Germans talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie is, I mean, it's, it's the definition of a bad movie club movie. Uh, the more I think about it, Ching, you're right. Like, it's funny, I think, across the board. If you've never, if you have no idea what the fuck is going on, it's funny. There's a lot of sight gags, and it's like just a hilarious and crazy premise. But if you're from 
California, Southern California, you're picking up like a billion fucking Easter eggs. It's just like every (laughs) single second is a different nod. And it's like, I love movies like this where it's made for an audience that gets it. Like he, like she's got all of these little references in and I mean, it reminds me of like Arrested Development. If you're like from Orange yeah. County, Arrested Development has oh my all God. this stuff. John Beard was our news guy. <laughs> like all of this shit. Or, or the best scene where uh, Buster thinks he's in Mexico. He's, he's actually in Santana. <laughs> yeah, the exactly. greatest critique of Orange County ever. Oh my God, such a genius <laughs> it's, episode. It's so fucking good. So yeah, I, I uh, if, if there was such a thing, I would put this in the Bad Movie Club Hall of Fame, Dave. But I'd like to give credit to Cheech Rin. Like if you think about it, for him to, do this movie after doing the video and to not fulfill anybody's expectations of what like he did in the past. Like this is a real gamble for him. I would imagine to make a movie, to do it all by himself and to have a, yes, there are some things that probably need to be changed now in in an updated setting, but for him to take these serious issues, then I don't think anybody expected this to come from him. And no, even in Hollywood, because it's uh, it's flip side is a beautiful movie called El Norte by Gregory Nava. That was done, I think it was 1984. And it was a story of two Guatemalan siblings coming into the United States and finding that the United States is not the promised land that people make it out to be. And it's a, it's a beautiful movie, but it's very sad. It's very it's a very heavy film. And so Hollywood at this point is finally realizing, oh, you know, maybe there's something with this, you know, legal immigration thing or we should start covering that. Then Cheech comes. Everyone knows it's a Cheech and Chong. Oh, I'm going to make a comedy about the border. Wait, oh, how, how is that funny? And people to this day will still say, how is the border funny? It's less funny now than it's ever been, but you could still find the humor. And I think that's a challenge for, uh, not that challenge, but that no, that's a challenge that Cheech had to his audience then and also to people today. It's like the absurdity, the absurdity that we are denying people even born in this country, just on how you look, that we're denying people from across the world the chance to come into this country and that the true buffoons are these bureaucrats <laughs> who walk in and can't, and you know, will not accept the answer of John Wayne for Death Valley days. That's the American, they're the true buffoons. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, the only tragedy here, guys, is, again, the availability of this movie. Like, you should, if you haven't seen it, watch the the music video, the first music video for Born in East L.A. But um, I don't know. If you don't have a DVD player, you, you, gotta, you, you can't watch this fucking thing. It's crazy. We got to start some kind of petition to get this thing streaming somewhere. Maybe we should just, we should talk to Hulu, Dave. I, I have an idea. Let's start a company where we just mail DVDs. To <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Better. I got you. Let's do, we want better. Let's build a brick and mortar shop where people oh, come in. Good one. Good one. Come, good one. <laughs> That's, just just do it pirateria style. Sell, sell pirated versions on Whittier, off Whittier and Olympic. You'll be good. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Gustavo, I, I very much enjoyed watching this. I actually probably enjoyed more having to not know how to set up a DVD player and having to have help from my wife who looked at me like, you're totally, I just, I'm such an idiot with electronics. And it was not that long ago that I had a DVD player and a lot of DVDs. So how quickly time has passed. And that's what I kept on thinking about was technology has changed to the point where most people don't even know what a DVD player is whole or have held one. And so many of the themes in this movie, 35 some years later, or have not outlived changed the technology. at all. Yeah. yeah, they outlived the tech. It's incredible, actually. So I encourage you guys to watch this if you have a DVD 
And if you don't, actually, you can probably <laughs> watch this because most of you listening have some game system. I don't. I wish I did. If I wasn't married, I would. I would. I would be playing twenty hours of video games a day. <laughs> FIFA. But you can you can play DVDs on those things, I believe. So, um, <laughs> I think it's a, a Hall of Fame bad movie club, and I don't know if we I would have thought of it. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. I was shocked, frankly, that again you grew up in Southern California and you're like, oh, everyone's seen Born in East LA. Yeah, like Chris saying, like, oh, I didn't see it. Like, what? How did you not see it? But I guess it makes <laughs> sense, and it's sad because it really is just a beautiful, funny. A buffoon film. Yeah, every almost the only person who's not a buffoon are the people who shouldn't be buffoons and the people who should be buffoons are total buffoons, but in a good uh, lighthearted way. You know, we we didn't even talk about the scene where uh, like the, the family is throwing those oranges at those guys who are trying to assault Cheech. Like there's all these little segments that as a kid you grow up with and say like, oh my God, like you still quote, like I still quote it with uh, like my cousins, you know, Jesus Santijuana and the tall boy and all that stuff. So yeah, folks, I mean, Again, go go fans, find out why it's not streaming, but go check it out, please. Yeah, or one of the streaming. We should just tell Hulu. Hulu, what are you doing? <laughs> it's this. a universal movie, so there it is. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be an OTM. <laughs> proud to be an OTM, too. And thank you, Gustavo, for introducing me this, for educating me. I, I, I cannot believe I didn't see this. And whatever other dumb shit I said about not really being able to relate to Asian Americans, I'm, I'm the only buffoon on this one. But uh, no, man, I feel... Uh, fortified with this movie now in my my mind cool gustavo one, one other thing do you have anything else you, you you got going on that you want to share with the world oh you know the usual stuff just uh subscribe to my newsletter i think that's the easiest way to do it uh just go to my website gustavoariano.org i just collect all the articles i've done for the week all my appearances. So obviously when this goes up, I'll post my appearance there. I do like sort of a missive. Uh, this last one was talking about the time uh, Milo, the alt loser idiot, Milo Yiannopoulos uh, ranked out on trying to debate me somewhere. So little stories here and there. That's the best way to do it. There's That's where all my social media accounts are and all that good stuff. You know, Gustavo, one thing that Chris and I are trying to create and we will have it hopefully by year's end is, is a World Cup of Snacks. Ooh. And to set it up like a soccer tournament, right? Where, like a tortilla like, tournament. Yeah, like, like, but mm -hmm. a little bit different in the sense of like the positions, right? Yeah. You know, you have your 10 players and each hopefully country can fill out the kinds of snacks that lead up to it. defender, midfielder, striker, blah, blah, blah. My belief without sort of going too deep into this is that Mexico is not necessarily an underdog. It is my choice to win the whole damn thing because I can see that people may not realize that if you want to be a top snack country you need to have sweet savory and all the candies and all the different kinds of chips like mexico snack culture has it all in great 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 variety too i think and this is just talking about like shell stable snacks Yes. Packaged shelf Package stable snacks. snacks. Okay. No, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you 1000% because we get, we have the whole palette sweet, salty, savory, spicy, and usually all just in one bite. I mean, oh man, between the gansitos, <laughs> yeah. the masapanes, and then those fucking spicy tamarind pulp shits that you get or like yeah. my, my I think the most underrated Mexican snack by the way and, and this is not necessarily a Mexican snack but this is where I always ate it are those tiny little dried shrimp that you just pop in like nothing 
oh man, th- th- this is such a great idea. Yeah, Mexico is definitely in the top tier, 1,000%. Can you give us, Gustavo, we, we've been, we, we, we are sort of like doing this exercise and now we're wildly off course here, but <laughs> off the top of your head, and you know, this doesn't have to be a final answer or anything, but like who would you say or what snack would be Mexico's number 10? They're like, they're messy. They're, they're one snack that could possibly anchor the whole team, take them all the way to the finals just on their back. What's the snack? Oh, shit. What's the snack? You see, I, I have to be objective here because my favorite snack of all time is mazapan de la rosa, which is like, I think it's kind of like a marzipan, but I still don't know what exactly it is. But it's like this peanut-based thing that you put in your mouth and you just let it melt in there. It's absolutely amazing. Ooh, but that yeah. that wouldn't be it. That would It would have to be, oh, shoot. It'd have to be like a chip, like some sort of chip or like like jalapeno flavored Doritos. No, no, no. These, you see, I'm not big of a snack person. I am a snack person, but I like more. My entire life is eating pumpkin seeds like crazy. That doesn't count here. But uh, we think that we think that Takis, the chip, Takis, of course, is le- Takis is legendary. Might be the number ten. But can you carry a country on Takis? Ah, oh, dude, you can carry a fucking life on Takis. That's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> but like all the this the the chip culture if you just focus on chips mexican chips potato chips they have it all there's nothing that mexico doesn't have on the salty chip whether it's a corn chip potato chip pork rind whatever it's got more variety than i think any fucking country i i can't think of people are clearly the front runners in my mind are going to be mexico from north america and Japan or slash Taiwan. I think it's Japan, Mexico. That yeah. would be the, you know, the World Cup finalist, in my opinion. And, and yeah, and, and I, I got to say, without fully knowing Japanese snack culture, but knowing Mexican culture, we hit every single level. We have the spice, the sweet, and again, all in one. Like, and that, this is why I would say Takis no, and I, I have to think about it because you need something that's going to be sweet and like has everything on at the same time. Honestly, even though like, Various people uh, make it, but I love those tamarind pulps. Like you get the fruitiness of the tamarind, love it. you get the saltiness or the salted plums, you know, and you you have to suck it out of the package. So you get a little bit of the juice in there. You get, you know, the saltiness, the savoriness, because once you mix the saltiness with the spiciness, you get the savory flavor and it's pulp. So of course it's going to be uh, savory and it's a different style of sweetness. And that's just, I mean, it's not even messy. Jeez, that he, right. that's going to be like a Christian Pulisic just coming off the bench or something. <laughs> And ask yourself who might win the golden boot. Who might be the country that is a dark horse that might be seen weak across the board, but has the one player that could win the whole goddamn thing for you. And I think it's Australia with Tim Tams. Mm. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Although between Brazil and India, man, those those countries are all about the snacks, especially India. Fuck, this is this is more competitive than the real World Cup. This is this is real compa- competition. Damn. Really, yeah. really competitive. Think about how pissed off people in Europe are gonna be, right? <laughs> when they realize like actually Spain, you, you you can't feel the whole team. <laughs> you don't have enough players to play at the <laughs> Sorry, Hamon's not shell stable. Well <laughs> 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 I mean, it is, but it's not not what you know what we're talking about. It doesn't play a different count. sport. You know, yeah, doesn't count. You're, you're t- doesn't you know, count. Spain's playing American football. We're, we're talking about real football here. <laughs> um, all right, we're gonna we're gonna bark up Gustavo's tree about this, and everybody should watch Born in East LA, which we, we started this talking about. But Gustavo, <laughs> good idea, right? Oh God, are you kidding? It's brilliant. 
totally inspired by your your tortilla attorney. Brilliant idea. I cannot wait to be manager of Mexico finally. We'll see how long you last. The, the fans might want to replace you. They're very fickle. Hey, I'm, I'm, already on this po- I'm already a multiple uh, times a member of this podcast, and I was with Dave. I, I, you're you're going to have to fight me for this damn position. You know, you know how this works in soccer, though, dude. When you, have, when you have a powerhouse like Mexico, expectations are sky high, man. If you don't deliver a World Cup, you don't deliver some silverware, you might get, you might get the boot, man. I'm going to be the pulga, Miguel Herrera. You know, just got to get my Super Saiyan on. But bring it, bring it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, we don't want to take any more of your time, Gustavo. We appreciate it. Thank you for pitching us the idea to do Born in East L.A., a great movie by Cheech Marin and Hall of Famer in the Bad Movie Club. Thank you. Thank you. Gracias, guys. That was Gustavo. Uh, please check out Born in East LA and uh, do me a favor. Read the reviews on Google from the major newspapers. I think gives you insight as to how things were perceived back then and how news can be sort of potentially skewed by people that don't quite understand it. Not fake news, just a different understanding, right? It's hard. It, maybe uh, people not willing to go the extra mile to empathize. But that being said... Uh, keep on sending ideas, as Chris mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, as rambling as it was, about S and P type systems of how we can help solve the restaurant industry's ills. And uh, stay safe, everybody. Give us five stars on our iPod page. Thank you, Isaac. Goodbye. <laughs>